0: Well, as always, church, it is good to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm the downtown campus pastor, one of our preaching pastors here at the Stone of the Bible. Go and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll be there in just a little bit. As a church, what we typically do on Sundays is we walk through books of the Bible verse by verse. That's typically what we do. And so we just finished Mark. It took about three years And we're about to start Ephesians last week, so who knows how long this will take. But we are going to be together in Ephesians for the foreseeable future. And to kick off Ephesians, we've we've had this sermon series entitled, Raised to Life. Raised to Life. The reason we're doing this is because the first 14 verses of Ephesians in the Greek is one long sentence. In the Greek, it's one long sentence of Paul describing in great detail of the amazing blessings that we have in Christ. And the reason he's doing this, he wants us to get our eyes off of the day-to-day and look at the massive story of salvation. He wants us to move from the ground, so to speak, up into the clouds and stand in wonder, stand in amazement at the story of salvation that God is writing for us. See, God is telling us this story, and in this text today, he's going to tell us some things about our story in Christ that we may not have known otherwise. That parts of the story that if we don't know it or if we misremember it will greatly affect the way we relate with God. See, in all of your lives and in my life, there are those, sto- those pivotal stories that shape the way you see your most important relationship. In our lives, there are those pivotal stories that shape the way you see your most important relationships. Those stories where the essence of the relationship is seen. Those stories in your life when it becomes very clear to you what this relationship you have with another person is all about, for better or for worse. And I can remember one of these stories for me uh, with my dad. There's been a couple of really critical stories in my life that kind of still shape my relationship with my dad. And one of these stories happened right after my sister graduated high school. So I was back home, and I was hanging out with my dad, and he was telling me how he's about to change his job. So my dad, for as long as I've been alive, has been a cop up in Dallas, and so he had been a detective all, all of my life, and he was moving to be a homicide detective. Okay, that's where he was going towards. And I asked him, I go, well, why are you making this move? Well, he said, I've always wanted to change jobs. He'd been a in, uh, detective in robberies. He's like, I would always wanted to change jobs, but I, I'm waiting until now. And I said, well, if you've always wanted to, why are you waiting until right now? And my dad told me, he said, well, the reason I stayed in this job for as long as I have is because I wanted to be involved in your life. He told me the reason, Tyler, I stayed in this job as long as I did. I wanted to be in your sister's and yours' life. And I began to think that's incredible. Like, he he hadn't stayed in his job because he just liked the money, he hadn't stayed in his job simply because he liked the friends there or he liked his parking space. No, he had stayed in his job because he wanted to be involved in my life. That's why he never missed a football game. That's why he never missed a drill team performance of my sisters, not mine, clearly, okay, (laughs) clearly. That's why, and I can't tell you in that moment, I felt so loved, I felt so cared for. My, My dad was thinking of us when he did that. Now, that story still shapes the way we interact. I remember that story. That story shapes for me. Okay, my dad cares for me. He loves me. He's proven it. It still shapes our relationship to this day. But imagine, imagine if I misremembered that story. Imagine if what I remembered of that story, I vividly remembered was asking my dad that question and him telling me, oh, the reason I stayed was because I didn't think about it. The reason I stayed, I I don't know, I never really thought about doing anything else. Or I stayed because I wanted more time to watch TV. I wanted more time to do whatever I wanted. Now, if, he, if I remembered that, it wouldn't make me dislike my dad. It wouldn't make me hate him or anything like that, but it definitely would decrease my love for him, wouldn't it? It would decrease my love for him. See, it, it wouldn't make me think he's a terrible father, but it definitely wouldn't make me think he's a great one. It wouldn't make me think he's a great one either. And the story that God is going to tell us today about our salvation is one of those pivotal stories, one of those pivotal stories that God, your father, wants you to know. It's one of those stories that if you don't know it, if you don't remember it, you may not dislike God. You may not hate him for it, but you definitely won't love him as much as you should. You definitely won't worship him as much as you should. See, it won't make him a terrible father in your mind, he just won't be a great one. And that's what the story is about today because God wants all of his people, everyone in Christ, he wants us to know the story of our adoption. The story of our adoption that he wants us to know today that you have been adopted in Christ because he chose you. Because he chose you. That he wants the magnitude of his unmerited, unwarranted fatherly affection and love that's given to you to shape our relationship with him. So we're going to be in Ephesians 1. Verses 3 through 6, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it, it'll be on the screen behind me. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, is what the Word of God says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is an incredible text and it's very dense. It's very dense. We're gonna look at one thing, uh, uh, our adoption first. The first thing I want you to look at is one of the most amazing privileges that God has given to every single Christian to be a child of God. Look at verse five. Verse 5 says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. See, from the very beginning of God's plan before the foundation of the earth, the plan had always been for him to adopt a people who had been orphaned by their sin. The plan was always to adopt a people as his own who had been orphaned by their sin. See, when Adam sinned against God in the garden and every single one of us followed in his wake, we were made spiritual orphans. You and I were made spiritual orphans. We listened to the lies of Satan, listened to the lies of our hearts that told us there's more joy, there's more life away from God. You don't need him. There's more joy out there. You don't need him. And all of us said, yes. All of us said, yes, but we were deceived. We were deceived. It was a lie and we lost God. We lost him and everything that went with him. We were left in a world full of death and suffering where all of that awaited us, every single one of us. We're left in a world where we had hearts that constantly push us for short term happiness and long term pain. We were left in a world where we had no one to take care of us. Our caretakers were sin and Satan, and so we would cry out to them and cry out to them only to get more abuse. We were orphaned by our sin. We were hopeless, but God's plan was to adopt his people from their spiritual orphanage of sin to be his sons and his daughters with the payment of his son, with the payment of his son. See, our adoption through Jesus Christ was not plan B. It wasn't as if we sinned in the garden and God thought, uh-oh, what am I gonna do? I got it, That's what I'll do. No, the text says before the foundations of the world, Before sin existed, he's already planning. The plan had always been, I'm going to adopt them with the blood of my son. God always wanted to take a people who wanted nothing to do with him, who deserved his wrath, had no way back to him, and he wanted to make them his sons and his daughters. See, through Jesus, not only does he take away our sin and make us holy and blameless, that's amazing in itself, but then he adopts us. Then he takes us, makes us his own son's And daughters, think about it this way. Removing our sin enables us to be in the throne room of God. Removing our sin enables us to be in his throne room, in his presence, holy and blameless. But adoption, but adoption makes us sit on the thrones next to him. That's what adoption does. Listen to J.I. Packer describe adoption. Adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers, arguably higher than salvation. Adoption is higher because of the relationship it involves with God. Salvation is wonderful, but it does not imply necessarily an intimate relationship. But in adoption, God doesn't just save us. He takes us into his family as children and heirs. It's incredible privilege that we all get currently right now in Christ. And so with this in mind, what I want to do, I want to show you a short video. A short video of adoption. Adoption. It's a a video we made a couple years ago. It's it's about the adoption story of Aaron Ivey. He's one of our worship pastors and his wife, Jamie's adoption of their son, Amos. And it's a story that when you watch it, I want you to watch it thinking, this is a small picture of what my adoption in Christ looks like. So let's go and watch this video together.
1: Welcome back to the most
0: news in the morning. It's now 40 minutes past the hour. Ground zero of the disaster is in the Caribbean, but its impact certainly uh, being uh, felt across the world and here in the U.S. as well as those desperately try to reach their loved ones in Haiti. Aaron and Jamie Ivy adopted four-year-old Amos. They were actually in the process of trying to get him out of the country when the earthquake struck. Now, what they know is that Amos is safe, which is the good news. When they'll be able to actually get him to the States is another story.
1: For two and a half years, we worked hard to get our adopted son out of Haiti. Tonight, we got the call we've been waiting for for so long. Our son is finally coming home. I was calling to see if there are any available flights from Houston Intercontinental uh, tonight to get me in the direction of going to Florida. It was the first time in two and a half years that it actually felt like it could happen because we've had several false alarms over the years where it's like, you know, maybe they're going to come home next month or maybe they'll come home six months from now. We just believed that God was saying, this is your your son, pursue him. We were so longing for our family to be together finally, so emotions were just inexplainable. We got to the airport, and there was probably 35 or 40 other parents that were in the same boat as us. What's up, Rhodes? U.S. Customs had to do very specific background checks. And we just started this long night of waiting that we didn't see coming. I remember looking at my phone at one point, and it was 3 in the morning. The crazy thing was, for so long, it had been this giant ocean that was separating us from our kid. And then we're in the airport, and it's just a wall. It's a physical wall. We're literally feet away from. Our kit with nothing but a door between us. It was one of the most frustrating parts of our whole journey. Finally, I just I went to sleep. I think the sleep for me was almost just this outward expression of this trust that I was having to deal with in my own heart of just, God, I, I trust you with this. I trust you with my son because there's nothing that I could do. Nothing. And then woke up and there was some movement going on.
0: Come on back and talk to me real quick.
1: Finally, a U.S. Customs guy came out and called us back to see Amos. picked him up and just held him so tight. It was an emotional moment to be, not just hugging my son because I'd done that before, but to know that he was finally home. Nobody else was keeping me from him. Nobody else was saying you can't have him yet, but he's here. This is over, this is complete. For like an hour, we we just hugged and held and just whispered in his ear. Mom and Papa are here, we love you. We're never leaving you. You're here with us forever. You wanna go home? Go home with Mama and Papa? Forever, huh? He had come from such a hard place. He's four and he has been through four really difficult years and wanted him to experience this sort of newness because I wanted that door to close on being abandoned being an orphan and now he's, he's adopted, he's in a family. As a father, I know that I've been adopted into God's family. I was once an orphan with no hope, with no purpose, no aim. But God in his kindness saw me and adopted me into his family. Changed my past, changed my future, changed everything about me. We've been adopted. I want to reciprocate that in the way I live my life. When the earthquake hit, we didn't know if we would ever get our son home. Now Amos has brothers and a sister He's a part of the Ivy family and he's finally home.
0: If you're not tearing up, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, What an incredible picture, right? What an incredible picture. Amos was in a place where the world was literally crumbling around him no hope, no way to get out, and his father found a way. The adoption is this picture of this happy father getting his son home, getting his daughter home. That's the picture of adoption. And in the text that we read today, the point Paul is making that is that this glorious, heart-stirring picture of adoption is rooted in God's election of his people. This amazing reality of adoption is rooted in his election of his people that our adoption came to be because God chose us and God predestined us for that end. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 4 through 6 again with me. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. See, when you read this text, it is very, very clear that our adoption is rooted in God's election. That those phrases of he chose us in him, he predestined us for the adoption as sons. All that God is doing, he's doing that for the end of making us his kids. That's why he did it. That's what the purpose of it was. So we be holy and blameless before him. See, our spiritual adoption does not happen without God's election. It's not just here in this text. But in Romans 8, one of the most amazing passages about our adoption in Christ, what God does again is he links our adoption with our election. Don't turn there. But listen to Romans 8, 14 through 17. Listen to the amazing truths of adoption. Think about those realities. God has given you, if you're in Christ, the same spirit that Jesus had. We aren't stepchildren. We aren't a watered-down version of children. We are co-heirs with Jesus. You and I can talk to God as our Father in the same way Jesus can. That's what adoption means. But what we begin to see right after this is Paul makes it clear that this adoption, this happened because God predestined it to happen. Look at Romans eight twenty-nine. Right after that text, it says, For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What does the text say? We've been adopted. We're being conformed to the image of the son. Jesus is teaching us what it means to be children of God. Why? Because God predestined it. That's why. It's clear One of the amazing truths of verse 30 is that if he predestined it, he will glorify us one day. That's the promise. So hopefully you're seeing, hopefully you're seeing that God wants his people to know from the scriptures. He wants us to know the reason you're my kids, the reason you are loved, because I chose you. I wanted to do it. That's why. That's why you're adopted. That's why you're in my family. And this is where many of us have a difficult time with the word of God, don't we? See, I have never heard anyone in our church ever push back or be frustrated that God adopts us into his family. I've never heard anyone say it's ridiculous that we would think that God could love us in such extravagant ways. We all love that, we all agree with that. But we begin to feel those things when we talk about how God is a sovereign author over it. We begin to feel those things. Maybe even now you're feeling this in your heart, this frustration, this pushback, that if God's sovereign over it, then is it really love? See, I think one of the reasons we struggle with this truth that God is sovereign over salvation, that he elects his people, he elects us to be adopted, I think one of the reasons is we begin to think that this must nullify human choice. See, we begin to think, that, okay, well, if that's true, then God must be nullifying our choice. We infer that this teaching is saying that human beings are just robots with no will of their own. And so in our minds and in our lives, if there is no choice, we begin to think, well, then love can't be genuine. That's why we push back. That's why we feel frustrated when we hear this because we think any relationship that is forced, any relationship that is forced, we begin to think, well, then that can't be love. That can't be love, and we know God is is love, and so we begin to think these are incompatible. The God that we thought we knew cannot exist in these texts. There's no way this could be true. And I totally understand that response. That was my initial response years ago when I first heard about these texts and this doctrine. I get it. I understand it. I get the immediate aversion to it. But there's one big thing you're not thinking about. There's one big piece of that. As you're thinking in that way, in that vein, one thing you're not thinking about, human beings did have a choice. Human beings did have a choice. We had a choice in the garden. You had a choice in your lives, and we all chose sin. We did. We had a choice. We chose sin. Think about it. Adam is in the garden without sin in his heart. Without sin in the world, nothing but provision, nothing but blessing, one thing you can't have. One, he still chooses sin. You and I are born under Adam. We're born in sin, but what do we do? We just spread more sin all over this planet. See, here's what sin did. Sin totally corrupted us to where we couldn't get back to God. Sin totally ruined us that we couldn't choose him again had no ability to listen to Romans 8 7 through 8 listen to what it says for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God notice the language there it's not that we just don't want God it's that we can't submit to him we can't See, it's not not that it's just a matter of desire. It's a matter of ability. You and I have a will. We're not robots. We have a will. But we have no ability to choose God anymore. Our will has been totally corrupted towards God. And this is really where our problem with God's sovereignty lies. This is where it lies because we don't think, I don't think often that we are as bad as the Bible says we are. We don't think the problem is as bad as the Bible says that it is. We want to believe deep down in our hearts that if we were given the right circumstances, we would choose God. We want to believe that that we could choose God. See, we have no problem in this room believing we're not perfect. Nobody in this room would say they're perfect, but we have a big problem believing that we are totally ruined by sin. A big problem believing we're totally ruined by sin. And I think one of the reasons we think that, one of the reasons it feels that way, because we only can think of sin in terms of overt evil and immorality. When you and I think of sin, we typically only think about it in terms of overt evil and immorality. See, we look at the surface level of our lives and we think, I don't know, I think God's exaggerating a little bit. I think it's, it's hyperbolic. Like you look at your friends who don't know Jesus and they're moral, they're nice, they love their families well. I have neighbors who are atheists and they're nice to their families and love their kids. So we begin to think, well, could sin really be that bad? They're good people, I thought. They're pretty nice to me. But that's when we don't understand what sin did to us. See, sin does not make you incapable of being nice, it doesn't make you incapable of telling a good joke. doesn't make you incapable of loving somebody. Here's what sin does. It makes you incapable of doing any of those good things with a heart to honor God. It makes you incapable to do any of these good things in life that God has given you. It makes you incapable of loving him and serving him and honoring him as the one who gave you the ability to do that. So here's what sin does. It makes us think that morally neutral things like family, sex, money, entertainment, whatever it is, we begin to think our lives are made for that. The great lie of sin often is not that go do these really terrible things. The great lie is just make these really good things ultimate things. That's the lie of sin. And we're spiritually dead towards God. What you and I will do without his intervention, we will always choose his stuff over him. Actually, we can only choose his stuff. We can't choose him. The only way we could ever be saved is if God chose us. That's the only way. See, God isn't telling us about election, so we'll focus on ourselves. He's telling us about election, so we would focus on the amazing reality that he wanted us. See, he wasn't forced in any way. It wasn't warranted. He didn't have to. And yet he wanted us. See, he wanted us even with all of our sins in mind. He knew every single way you and I would sin and he still chose us. He knew every perverse thought, every shameful moment, every angry outburst, every careless word, every loveless action, every time we belittled him, defamed him, dishonored him, he knew all of it. He said, I want them. That's what he chose. Could you imagine... Could you imagine loving someone, marrying someone who you knew would cheat on you every day? Think about it. Could you imagine being in love with somebody, marrying someone who you knew would cheat on you every day? Every day they would give themselves up to somebody else in ways that you wanted just for yourself. Every day they would do it in plain sight for everyone to see, for you to see. And they'd make jokes about it. They'd laugh about it. And then every night when you went to bed, you would go to sleep knowing that tomorrow they're going to do the exact same thing. I mean, could you imagine marrying that person? Could you ima- no, we couldn't because we're thinking no one would choose them. Not true. God chose them. That's who God chose. He knew all of our unfaithfulness, all the ways we would go to anyone and everyone else other than him. And he said, I want them. I want them. That's what election is about. And I'm sure even as you hear this, there's some of you that your hearts are still torn though. You hear this and you're like, that's amazing. God loves me, but you're already thinking of those people who you love who don't know Jesus. See, faces are coming to mind. Faces are coming to mind, both alive and those who passed away long ago, and we're beginning to ask the question, well, has God chosen them? Has God chosen them? It's a natural question. This is a natural question, and I understand it, but we must be careful not to obsess over something we don't know the answer to. We must be careful not to obsess over something we don't know the answer to that our job is to trust God because we don't know, if you look on a sea of people, none of us know who God is going to save. None of us know who's going to hear the gospel and say, I want to follow Jesus and those who are going to hear the gospel and say, I could care less. None of us know. Our job is to be faithful, to pray, to share the gospel and know that there is nothing that will keep God from saving his adopted children, nothing. But even as I say that, it's still hard to deal with so hard to deal with and I get it. I get it personally because three weeks ago, three weeks ago, I officiated my very first funeral. It was my grandfather's. My very first funeral was my grandfather's and I loved my grandfather. He's a good man, faithful, kind, a great grandfather to me. And he's one of those guys, one of those men among us that when at his funeral, you just wanna believe that, I mean, he's good enough, right? God, it's good enough. And I had to deal with the fact that, to the best of my knowledge, my grandfather never repented of his sin and trusted Jesus. And that week of his death, I had to wrestle with God's sovereignty. I had to wrestle with God's sovereignty. I had to ask, I started, the question rang in my mind, why would God choose me and show himself to me and yet seemingly not do the same for my grandfather who I love? Why would he do that? I don't understand. I was I'm no better than him. I didn't figure it out. And I began to ask the question why a lot. It was a difficult week. It's a difficult week because as much as I tried, I had a hard time seeing how this was good. You've been there where you're like, okay, I get it, but I have a hard time seeing how this is good. And it's in those moments that I'm, I'm still in the process of learning that even in darkness, even if I can't see it immediately, that I can trust the good character, the trustworthy character of my God. I can trust him. This is the God who loved and chose a poor sinner like me to be his own son. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. See, God wants us to know that the glories of our adoption are rooted in his election of us, but why? Why? I'm sure God could have thought of another way, right? Why this way? And why tell us? Most of us are thinking, well, what does this really matter? Verse six tells us why. Look at the text with me again. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse six, this is why. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God has done everything this way to the praise of his glorious grace. The reason he chose a people based on nothing they had done The reason he didn't just make them servants, but he made them sons and daughters. The reason he did it was to bring the maximum amount of praise in our hearts from us to him for his grace. That's why he did it. He wanted the maximum amount of joy in our hearts to praise him for his grace. Because every single aspect of our salvation was secured by God, not us. Every single ounce of sin was paid for by Jesus, not us. Every bit of righteousness was given to us through Jesus, not through us. Every moment of joy that we have, knowing that we are the loved son and daughter of God, every moment God has given to us, why? Because he wanted to, he was pleased to. This is the character of our God. He's generous, he's kind, he gives freely. And he wants us to know the story of our adoption. See, imagine if several years from now, when Amos is older. Imagine if several years from now, Aaron hears Amos telling the story of his adoption. Aaron's in the room, and he can hear Amos has just met somebody new and he's telling them the story of his adoption. Imagine if Aaron heard Amos tell this story. Amos tells a friend, he's like, yeah, I, I was a young boy in Haiti. And Aaron had sent, I'd heard these rumors that Aaron had sent letters to all of the orphanages. He sent letters and I got one and it said, hey, whoever this is, if you can get to Austin, you can be my child. If you can get to Austin, you can be my child. No matter what, I'm not your dad yet, but if you can get there, you will be my child. No questions asked. And Amos is telling the story saying, well, I had no other hope, so I thought this is the best option for me. So Amos got a couple of friends, and they, got a, oh, they hitched a ride to the airport, and he gets to the airport, he doesn't have any money to buy a ticket. Well, guess what? Aaron left him some money. But not enough to buy the whole ticket, just enough to get him started. So for a couple of days, he begged for some money. He had a couple of dollars from Aaron, but he begged for some money. He raised enough money to buy the plane ticket, gets to Florida. He's never, he's never been to the United States before. He's new. He didn't know where to go, asked around. So he, ended, he ends up hitchhiking across the southeast. A lot of crazy stories. For a week, he's hitchhiking. And finally, he gets to Austin. And he stands there, and there's steps up to Aaron's house. And he walks up the steps. He knocks on the door, and He waits. He hears people moving around the house. They're making dinner. Aaron opens the door, surprised. You made it. Welcome home. Imagine if Aaron heard Amos tell that story. I mean, the first thing he would probably think is liar. Um." (laughs) But the main thing he would think, I know, his heart would be broken. His heart would be broken, why? He'd be thinking, Amos, do you think that's what happened? You think I just waited around that I love you in such a way I'll just wait around for you to get here? That's what you think? He would sit him down and say, son, you don't understand what my love is like for you. You don't get it. I chose you to be my son. I came after you to be my son. I paid whatever I had to. I lost whatever I had to. I waited wherever and for however long I had to to have you home with me. You did not come after me. I went after you. He says, son, you don't know what my love is like. You've forgotten. You've forgotten what your story really is. And all of us this morning need to hear this story from our father. Because all of us tend to tell our story like Amos. All of us tend to think that God did a lot of it, but I still have to fulfill my end of the bargain. I still got to fulfill my end of the bargain. And we begin to think that, oh, the reason I know Jesus is because I had a really good family growing up. Or the reason I know Jesus is because I had a good church or a good preacher or a good book. We begin to think that the, the reason is because the circumstance is not because of God. And even when we begin to think, okay, the reason I'm saying faithful to God, the reason I haven't left God yet is because, well, I love him and I'm faithful. I would never do that. I know better than that. So here's what happens. You and I don't think he's as forgiving as he says. We don't think he's as gracious as he claims. You want to know why? Because if God did most of it, but you still did a little part of it, if you don't do your part, you lose everything. That's what happens. That's We begin to think he can't love me the way he does or he owes me everything I've been good. I worked hard, God. I fulfilled mine of the bargain. You need to fulfill your end. We think we put him in our debt, but our father is sitting us down this morning saying, no, no, child, you don't know what my love is like then. I chose you. I wanted you. I adopted you. I gave it to you for free. You don't know what my love is like. You've forgotten. That's what our Father is telling us this morning. He wants us to know our story. But there's something really important to note about our adoption story the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. That video, what are the best scenes? In that video, what are the best parts of that video? None of you were thinking, The traffic scene was money. You know, they're driving the airport. Those brake lights were amazing. Like, none of you were thinking that. What are the best scenes? That, That moment when he comes out of the barricade, he's got Amos in his arms, tears in his eyes, joy in his heart. That moment when he comes down the escalator and everyone's shouting, Aaron's son is home. One of my personal favorites is when he sees Story, his sister, they've been separated for years. They get reunited Those are the scenes that make your heart sing. And church, those scenes are yet to come for us. If you're in Christ, those scenes are yet to come. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you trust Jesus, or if your friends don't know Jesus and you lead them to Christ, guess what? The best scenes are yet to come for them too, for everyone. See, in our adoption story right now where we are, the papers have gone through everything's been signed, everything's been paid for. We are legally adopted sons and daughters of God, but guess what? We're still stuck in Haiti. We're still stuck in this world where everything crumbles. We're still stuck in this world where our bodies fall apart. We're still stuck in this world where cancer attacks us. We're stuck in this world where sin accuses us. We're stuck in this world where we see death swallowing people up. Men, women, children, death doesn't care. It's swallowing people up. We're in this world where we're beginning to doubt, is this really true? All I see is everything crumbling around me, and he says, I'm adopted, but it doesn't feel like it. We can feel the sin in us, wanting, desiring, burning to be acted upon. And we're wondering If our father really is on the other side of that barricade, we're wondering, is he really doing everything he can to get me home? And this morning, God is saying, don't you worry. I'm going to make it happen. Don't you worry. I'm going to bring you home. I know you feel lost. I know you feel forgotten. I know that's how it feels. But trust me, I'm moving everything, the history of the world, of the universe, everything towards you coming home to be with me. I chose you, I'll make it happen. He's telling us that one day you're gonna cross that barricade and you're gonna see the smiling face of Jesus. He's gonna pick you up and say, I told you, I told you. And you're gonna come down the escalator, so to speak, and the host of heaven will be shouting, the sons and daughters of God are home. That's coming for us, church, and you want to know why we're going to get there? You want to know why we're going to make it? Because God predestined it to happen. That's why. You are not going to make it because you're strong. You're not going to make it because you're faithful. And no sin will keep him from saving you. You are his, and he doesn't lose one of his kids. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Church, listen, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Church, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is your adoption story. This is one of those pivotal stories that we have to know that you have to know why you were God's because God wanted you to be his kid and he wanted you to share in the eternal joy of marveling at the spectacle and being the recipient of his glorious grace. That's what we cling to. That's our hope. Let's pray together. Father, would you wake us up this morning? Oh God, would you open our eyes to see that there is no love like your love and no grace like your grace? Oh God, how often we think you're gonna leave us if we mess up. How often we think if there's just one more action that if I do this one thing, God's just gonna leave me. Oh God, would you remind your people Today, that you give us grace and you give us love and you give us affection and you give us delight because you want to. There is nothing and no one that forced your hand. This is just what you're like. You love to bless and be with your children. God, I wanna pray for those who are in suffering for those who their world is really crumbling, their world is falling apart and they don't know up from down, they're disoriented, they don't know where you are. Would you use your word this morning to remind them you have not forgotten, you are not distant. You will get them home. And God, for everyone else in this room More than anything, we want you to wake our hearts up to what worship looks like, to what devotion looks like, because we're not doing it to force your hand. You've already given us everything. Jesus already paid for everything. So God, we just want to marvel. We just want to have joy. We just want to delight in your glorious grace that though we deserve nothing, God, you have given us everything. And the most important thing, you've given us yourself. God, would you use this moment to stir us up as a church to remind us that we have great news to tell this city. That we have a God who is like no other, who loves like no other, who's kind like no other, who's gracious like no other. Oh God, exalt your name among us. That's what we ask. All in the name of our King Jesus. Amen.